0: idea.
1: Got it. I'll negotiate. Go down the
0: house and blame Winston Churchill. we will negotiate.
1: If I tell on
0: you, you'll be in big trouble. They'll never win. Love is the strongest thing in the world. Your mother took me in. She's kind. She treats me like a person. You two seem to be getting on well.
1: She doesn't seem like a bad person.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Moo Scramble podcast. I am Thomas and John, how are you? Very well, Thomas, very well indeed. Thursday evening,
1: it's miserable, and it's a perfect time of year for watching lots and lots and lots of
0: films and television. So, I'm reasonably happy. How about yourself? Yeah, pretty much. But as you say, the weather is absolutely miserable, and you start getting used to it, it just gets worse and worse. And I was in East Cobride today, and as you know, East Kilbride has its own little ecosystem. Yep. So everywhere you get in Glasgow, East Kilbride gets it. Three thousand.
1: Yes, uh, I used to live in Cumbernauld and it's pretty much the same. A town built on top of a hill with its own climate. Yeah, it's amazing.
0: I think there's some <laughs> kind of ancient druid curse on these places. <laughs> wouldn't surprise me at all, really wouldn't. Speak, and if you're interested in ancient druids and curses and cults and stuff... We have a previous podcast that you can find in the Movie Scramble archives about cults. That's cults, C-U-L-T, not what you might have thought I said. <laughs> and speaking of cults, our film we're going to be reviewing tonight is revolving Nazis. So, there's a wee twist to it though. It's a comedy. <laughs> no, a comedy about Nazis, it's not something you... Really, you don't really think of comedies when you think of Nazis. It's not something that really kind of evokes humour enjoy. joy. But it's a film I felt did. It's, of course, Jojo Rabbit, directed by Taika Waititi. The movie tells the story of Jojo. He's a lonely German boy who discovers that his single mother, Scarlett Johansson, is hiding a Jewish girl in their attic. Aided only by his imaginary friend, Adolf Hitler, Jojo must confront his blind nationalism as World War II continues to rage on. When I first seen the trailer for this, taking away who directed it, I was very, very intrigued. It just looked unique. I was curious to how they could pull this off as a comedy and seeing who did direct it, it did ramp up my interest in it because I think uh, Taika Waititi is a great director. He's the kind of guy that I will go and see a film just because he directed it. With this, I hate, you know I hate the word quirky. I hate to, descri- to describe something. It is very lazy. It does fit when it comes to this and it is genuinely funny. It's really dark. I enjoyed it overall. I thought it was a very fascinating film with an incredible cast, and I'm not really too sure how it made me feel, to be fair, when it was finished. It was a film I really had to digest and think about. But what did you think about it, John, when you to see it? I thought it was quite
1: a clever film in that it starts off with sort of full on comedy with Jojo and. His imaginary friend, Adolf, getting themselves pumped up to go in the Hitler Youth Camp. And the Hitler Youth Camp is a, a series of like montages and sort of funny moments that introduce some of the, uh, the supporting cast. So you're in a certain mindset already. It's, it's fun. It's light. And then, as you say, it takes a couple of small dark turns and then it gets really, really kind of bleak for a while as well but and then it seems to cut into that with little quirky moments again as you say quirky is a word that you, you wouldn't normally associate with a, a, a comedy about nazis but <laughs> it seems to fit here i think that is down to the writing the direction and the strength of the cast it definitely is i mean if you look at it look at some of the people who's involved you've got sam rockwell scarlett johansson Stephen merchant as well, in a, a small role as a Gestapo officer who he's comedic but also very sinister at the same time. It's quite a compelling shot, almost like a cameo performance, but it's still very, very good. I really, really enjoyed this film. And I I thought, yes, I was the same sort of idea as yourself. I I didn't really know what to make of it when I heard about it. But then when you see the trailers, you think this is something a wee bit different, because usually with Nazis and comedies, they are very full on comedies. I'm thinking more of sort of Mel Brooks type of films here. But this was a, a, a little more subtle in that, that he started off as a comedy Hitler to begin with, but as it progressed, changed slightly and things got a little more serious. Shall we say, without giving too much away? So, what did you think about the main sort of overall storyline of it? Obviously, the young boy
0: and everything very impressionable. What did you think of him? Yeah, I thought he was great, and it was a very, it was a very coming of age story, wasn't it? It mm-hmm. uh, just happened to be set against the backdrop of Nazi Germany, yeah. where you've got this kid, he's got this kind of nationalist innocence, where he doesn't really seem to understand what a Nazi is. He doesn't understand the, the ramifications of the ideology and the evil they're actually inflicting on the world. He just sees them as these larger-than-life characters that are protecting <laughs> his country. And... Yeah he aspires to be and it's also very telling as well that he doesn't have a father figure in the mm-hmm. film and as much as his mother does an incredible job and the, the character Scott johansson plays is absolutely fantastic and her performance is excellent he is mm-hmm. missing that father figure to the extent that he creates one in mm-hmm. adolf hitler a uh, person he idolizes and it's very telling that his version of hitler is a bit goofy It's a bit comical. It's how a kid would see an adult. Yeah, he's he's he's
1: obviously just like a 10-year-old boy. He's he's a sponge. He just wants to have fun. And when you see all this stuff happening, saying how we're winning the war and this is how we're doing it, and they've got the uniforms and everything for the, the Hitler youth, that is like an adventure for him. So he's totally taking it in. The way his mother reacts to it, Even though she is opposed to the whole idea of the the Nazis and the war, she doesn't dissuade them. One reason for that is perhaps she may get denounced, but another reason is because she she loves her son. She remembers her son before he got involved in all this, and he's just a sweet, innocent little boy, and he just wants to play and run about, and she's hoping that... By trying to subtly teach him what's actually going on, the sort of the truths that he will mature at some point and return to her. She sees that he's been manipulated, but she's trying to sort of find out a way to sort of get him back. And another part of that, like you said, she, they've got the Jewish girl hiding in their attic. She's... Constantly worried, you can see that all the time about her, she's always on edge, no matter how calm and glammed up she looks, she's always worried about what's going to happen next, and you can see that in her eyes, and that's all Scarlett Johansson's performance, it's just a fantastic piece of work from her.
0: Yeah, she she is brilliant at the best of times, and she's absolutely outstanding in this. As is mm-hmm. the entire cast in general, you can to mentioned the Jewish girl there, Elsa, played by Thomas and Mackenzie. And she's great as well because, again, she's a child, mm-hmm. uh, yep. a bit older than Jojo. But this is somebody whose innocence has been taken from her and she's yeah. forced to hide from a, a, a nation that doesn't even see her as a human being. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, JoJo's his innocence has also been taken, but in a completely different way. He's in there where he believes the right side of history. Yes, yeah. Uh,
1: It's all the indoctrination about Jewish people, how they had scales. And because one of them mated with a fish at some point, that's what they said. And mm -hmm. just all the things, you know, they have bat wings and they, they eat children all this sort of stuff to turn them against him. So when he actually encounters a a Jewish person, he doesn't know what to do initially. He believes all the propaganda that he's been told, but then he starts to slowly realise that she is just a a girl, a couple of years older than him, but yes, she's coming from a very different perspective because of what she's seen and what she's been through, whereas he's been completely sheltered from it. He's led an idealistic life at this point. Small village, everything seems very warm and happy. And the, the war seems very, very far away. So he believes everything that he's been told. Yeah, thought it was particularly good. I like the German characters, and it's Sam Rockwell is Captain Kleinsendorf, and Alfie Allen is Finkel, his right-hand man. Mm-hmm. I thought Finkel was almost a—it's almost like a grown-up Jojo character. It was somebody who's obviously an adult, but he fully believes in what he's doing, but he's, he's still a wee bit naive and he's hanging on the coattails of somebody who he idolises. He obviously idolises the Sam Rockwell character in this. And there's a sort of a comparison between sort of an adult and a child who are still sort of caught up in the same ideological troubles, if you like. So I, I thought that was particularly good. And then obviously you've got Rebel Wilson, who just, she just kind of knocked out of the park as this sort of full on, almost like a zealot. And Nazi zealot, if you like, because she was talking about having fourteen children or something, but the, the, <laughs> you know, this sort of stuff. So and the final she, yeah, and everything she does is completely deadpan because there's a there's a scene quite early on where Jojo is given a job, he's wanting to do a job, so he's given all these leaflets and his he says, oh you know, I, you know, I wish I could go and fight at the front, and his mother says, yeah, that's fine, you go and fight at the front, and of course, then the Rebel Wilson character gets, tries to give him a gun. <laughs> 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 she just looks up and <laughs> she can't understand what she's doing wrong because well, this is right. You know, the boy wanted a gun.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> it's, it's fairly comical. It's, aye. But yes, it it goes beyond just pure comedy, though. It does touch on some fairly serious subjects. And I mean, it is, is relevant for these sort of times, even though it wasn't written specifically with all the stuff that's been going on in the last couple of years. I think he said he wrote it about 10 years ago and he's been working on it ever since. He obviously, I've heard in interviews that Taika with titius that it is particularly relevant, but that wasn't the intention. The intention was just to tell a story, but it obviously hits home for a lot of people at the moment. Obviously, because it's been it's been very
0: popular and it's obviously up for a number of awards as well. So, Aye, more power to them. Yeah, definitely. And it has been quite popular and it's been very successful on the nomination front at least. Uh, it's it's been quite polarizing as well mm-hmm. as. I think the general consensus is it's been critically acclaimed. However, when you look at the actual reviews from the most notable names, for example, it has been quite polarising. Even people I've spoke to have found a lot of fault with it and just didn't like it. They found mm-hmm. that it was very tonally jarring. And I disagree. And I disagree with that because the film, for the most part, uh, when you see it through the comedy and things, you've got this like, idiot idea, idea of Hitler. You've got Stephen Merchant's Raiders of the Lost cartoon bad guy. Mm-hmm. It's seen. It's through the eyes of a ten-year-old boy. It's through the eyes of a child who has seen things how he would see them. Mm-hmm. But you can't hide the fact that there is a nightmare happening right in front of him, and that all that's always going to bleed through to his fantasy. Yes.
1: Yeah. Eventually, he can't really control what he's exposed to and what he sees, and he does come round to it. And obviously, this isn't giving away anything in the, the story at all we're not really going into any sort of spoiler territory here but yes obviously the the light tone doesn't last forever and he he does eventually have to start seeing things through the eyes of elsa and the others that are around him and his mother as well so yeah yeah Yeah, I think you're right there. Obviously, Mary wrote the review for the site and she absolutely loved the film. She thought it was pretty spectacular. Something that could have been a bit twee, a bit strange, turned out to be an absolutely fantastic film. If you want to have a look at our review, it's on the site, moviescramble.co.uk. Give it a view. Tell us what you think.
0: Exactly. Leave some comments. I look back to your saying about Alfie Allen's Finko, almost Mm -hmm. a growing up JoJo, and I kind of felt the same regarding Sam Rockwell's Captain Kleinsendorf. Yes. And he's almost like the the realistic depiction of the fantasy that Jojo believes in. The Jojo believes in this idea of like a, a soldier in his case being honourable in the medals and fighting for the fatherland and protecting Germany. Yeah. And Sam Rockwell, to an extent, does believe that, but he's washed up. Yes. He's been yeah. demoted from his post, he's not allowed to fight in the front line and he knows the war's over. Mm -hmm. yeah he's he's realistic and i I don't know if that's with sam rockwell recently playing these kind of nazi racist characters that you find very endearing yeah to me he's the most underrated actor working he's absolutely phenomenal he's outstanding I, I i thought it was incredible in this absolutely incredible he's genuinely funny He's very likeable, which is difficult when you're dealing with a Nazi captain. Yes, yeah. He did the,
1: the same on television last year when he was in Fosse Verdon when he played Bob Fosse. Now, Bob Fosse is a character who's obviously a, a genius in terms of musicals and like anything to do with that anything like all like, oh, the, the dancing and everything, but he was a horrible, horrible human being. But the portrayal of him by Sam Rockwell was just absolutely spot on. It was engaging and you wanted to know more about the character and a lot of that had to do with Sam Rockwell's performance. He made him likable in a certain way even though he was a horrible individual. It's quite something and uh, he does pretend much the same here it's a character that you wouldn't normally really sort of like but i think some of it to do with the fact that he didn't follow the party line a lot of the time he was his old man as you say he was a it's almost like an old school honorable german soldier who just got caught up in the fact that the nazis were taking over and he knew what he had to do in order to survive and all all he wanted to do was fight but, as you say, he couldn't because he kept getting demoted for various accidents that seem to have been one involved in that is eye, and the other involved
0: in a hand grenade. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's very comical. It's supposed to be comical. You're supposed to laugh at it. There's nothing distasteful about yes. jokes. We're laughing at the Nazis. We're not laughing with them. Yes, so there's stupid things like Hitler keeping
1: offering Jojo cigarettes and eventually yeah. Jojo has to say, hey, I'm 10 years old, stop offering me cigarettes,
0: you know. <laughs> it's if, just comedy. He's sitting dinner table he's see the unicorn's head and it's yes just... <laughs> yeah and that then, rolls back it, to an earlier joke when he said i'm having unicorn for dinner tonight and then you see yeah it's just it a... is going back to how a 10 year old will see a bad person mm-hmm. like the, the cigarette thing you just touched on there like jojo knows he's too young to smoke yeah it's uh, something absolutely. a bad guy it's something a bad person would do it, it was almost it was almost a matter of time before hitler was offered them sweets and I ride in his car. You know? <laughs> it's, it was only how he, per- he could perceive evil. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to touch back on Sam Rockwell quickly. Huh? Except, I'm going to jump back a bit as well. you were saying about he portrayed that character in the TV show last year. I was also yes. thinking of Three Billboards, when mm, he played yeah, the, the racist, and he had some redemption in that film, and people were not happy at all. Mm-hmm. with that character's portrayal but I, th- I thought the film was excellent I really liked him in it I, I love this character in this and this isn't a spoiler you actually see it in the trailer but when he's designing his costume and you see his costume mm-hmm. for battle yeah and of he's course got a, he's got a cape and Finkel's holding the gramophone is the music's playing? <laughs> and at that point the films took a really dark turn and there's still these kind of flashes of colour in the mm-hmm. finale and it's really clever how to do it I didn't think it was jarring, to be fair I mean it did contrast it was deliberate and it made you get a certain emotion. I mean, again, not talking about spoilers, but there's one particular scene that just takes the wind out of yourselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. But that's the oh, intention yeah. of it. It's supposed to.
1: Yes. I know the scene you're talking about. Well, some people interpreted it as being slightly trivialising certain facts of things that happened in sort of German towns during the war, but I thought it had a real impact. I really thought... Phew oh, that's, that's something that ideally you wouldn't want to see and you wouldn't want a
0: 10-year-old child to see either. So. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. I mean, it, it, goes, it goes back to that that theme we were talking about, though, that it's through Jojo's point of view, it's, it's from his perspective mm-hmm. he's seen things. It's not a social commentary no, on no. Nazi Germany. It's not a documentary on no. the time. Mm-hmm. It's a very unique perspective of how things were, and again, I don't know what people. It's, it's not. It's not a favorable look either. Mm-hmm. It's very, very clear that it's not. It's not intended to be anything other than a damning indictment of this yep. horrific time. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely yes. But speaking of the the humour, I've they give a particular shout out to Archie Yates, is Yorkie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Jojo's best friend in it that character was absolutely delightful Yeah, <laughs> the time yeah, you've seen him spot on he was a lovely wee boy who had nothing bad
1: about him whatsoever he was just absolutely great yeah it was, it was a great performance both of the child performances in this the two small boys were absolutely brilliant, I think. Taika Waititi's got a bit of a track record for getting performances out of children, so Mm -hmm. yes, I think more power
0: to him. What did you think Waititi's Hitler?
1: It was far enough removed from people's idea of Hitler that it was comical because that's the whole thing about sort of comedy hitlers. It has to be a real sort of caricature. So with them wearing the brown uniform and the jodhpurs and all this sort of stuff, yes, it's it made them seem comical, but then there was manoeuvrability within the character so that it could turn dark quite easily. I thought it was a very sort of well thought out portrayal mm-hmm. and it wasn't overused within the film. It could have been there a lot more. It was held back for obviously just moments between Jojo And his imaginary friend, rather than having him there all of the time, it could have been a bit intrusive after a while, and it could have got a bit boring. But because it was used quite sparingly, it was more effective. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so what did you think then? Do you would you
0: recommend this film? I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, it was funny because when I went to see it in the cinema, a lot of people took their children, and (laughs) I remember thinking, but I remember looking about and going this would be a good film for them to see but it's probably not the film you're expecting
1: to see no the trailer's got something to do with that i think because it makes yeah. it out to be a reasonably light film and as i said it does start lately but it exactly. would be interesting to see how small children would actually react to this film maybe they, they wouldn't get some of the subtleties that were on screen but uh, you never know i just don't know i would definitely recommend this film i think it was one of the the better ones that i've seen over the last month or so and i think it might get out get attention at the award ceremonies if not actual any awards. It's no bad thing really. It gives Mr. Letiti more power and more scope for doing interesting work in the future. Obviously after the next Thor film, but I'd like to see where he goes next with his own work.
0: Should be good. Well, Akira's still in the pipeline and the fact that it looks like it's going to happen this time Yeah. and he's in charge of it. Um, it's a film I've been watching made live action for To now. now. <laughs> Absolutely. decades i've been waiting to see this a live action version with him at the helm and his ideas for it the things he's been talking about it i'm i'm all, I'm all in all in on it <laughs> nice yeah so that's a recommend for me a recommend from john and even though mary is absent this evening as John mentioned she absolutely loved it please go and check out a review leave a comment on the website leave a comment on this podcast as well and as usual you can get us on social media let us know what you thought of Jojo Rabbit did you like it did you dislike it were you indifferent towards it I'd be surprised if you're indifferent towards it I people seem to have strong feelings either way but again like I said let us know what you think on Jojo Rabbit continuing on from the theme of jojo rabbit we decided to compile our top three of imaginary friends and movies now as you know we like to operate a draft system so as not to have any overlap although there was one i would have picked the same as john did there wasn't much overlap in our list this time was there not at all no there's surprisingly quite a,
1: a number once you do a wee bit of research there's a number of films with these sort of characters in them and if you make it broad enough and they may not be completely friendly all the time then there is a wee bit of scope for a little adventure in terms of your picks yeah you're right there i think even if mary had joined us we would have still managed to get quite easily
0: three separate ones each okay it's, it's, it's a topic as well. When I first, when we first discussed it, I was like... I, one right away came to mind. We'll get on to it. We'll going to it soon. But with other stuff, I was like, oh, wait a minute, does that count? Does that count? And then when the ball was rolling, it was very easy to, to think of suggestions. But I'm looking forward to this one. It's been an interesting topic. Okay, I'll go first. My first
1: choice is Tyler Durden from the film Fight Club, which was released in 1999 based on a Chuck Palahniuk novel of the same name. Tyler Durden is the imaginary friend of the unnamed narrator of the film. Tyler Durden in the film is played by Brad Pitt and the narrator is Edward Norton. And everything is seen from the perspective of Edward Norton. He meets Tyler on a plane and he declares him his best single-serving friend that he's ever met, to which Tyler just sort of looks at them and says well that's that's very funny yeah <laughs> very sarcastically from there meet a number of times again end up living with each other even though obviously it's just the one person and by the way I'm completely spoiling a film for <laughs> anybody that hasn't seen it but it's 21 seen years fight
0: old club. for goodness sake yeah. yeah if you haven't seen Fight Club or you don't know the end of the Fight Club but no, I find that it comes to spoilers. it's pop culture now <laughs> <laughs> yeah so
1: basically Tyler is everything that the narrator is not he's handsome he's rather devilish he's clever he is basically a go-getter and together they start up this fight club basement of a bar where the first rule of fight club is you don't talk about fight club and it (laughs) takes it goes on from there and it it turns into a bit of a paramilitary organization in the second half of the film The, the character of tyler is just amazing Because he's so full on at all times. And Brad Pitt looks as if he had an absolute ball with this character. For the most part of the film, most people don't realise that he isn't really there. There's no real obvious signs to begin with. And it just kind of creeps in as the story unfolds. And you kind of get a sense of, well, there's something not quite right about this guy. It's just not playing out as you think. But it's fantastic. It's a great film. And it's a really, really great character.
0: I, I, I can't agree with you enough. Fight Club is one of my favorite films. Tyler is easily in my top ten favorite film characters ever. I love Brad Pitt and once upon a time in Hollywood, but for me, this is his greatest role ever. He's incredible, and he's absolutely amazing. He looks incredible. He acts incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's, I remember there was a scene in the film. When I are looking at a poster, and he's like, "Is that what a man should look like?" Brad Tyler not is what a man should be. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like just look at him in the film. He's just effortlessly cool. Yes. He's got a very unique style to him that only he can pull off. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point of the film. He's supposed to be the narrator's alter ego. He's what he ach- hopes to be. Is an epitome of his ego, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you just say that you're watching the film, you don't realise he's not there until you do. And you're just like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. And if people say they do see it coming, I'm very suspicious. They're scared to go that one. As you say, there's not really any kind of clear clues. It's not until you see the film a couple of times and you see we kind of snippets here and there and things are, are implemented in this stylistically. Mm. But yeah, I love the film. Absolutely love it. Great choice. Okay, your first choice? I'm going to go with a film that first introduced me to the imaginary friend concept. This is a film I first watched when I was young. I grew up loving it from my childhood. Was scared that if I rewatched it as an adult, I wouldn't like it. Thankfully I did and I got a lot more from it i am talking about 1991's drop dead fred <laughs> i uh, absolutely adore this film for those of who haven't seen it it stars rick male is the title character drop dead fred he's a happy anarchic mischievous imaginary friend of a young girl elizabeth she grows up to be phoebe Cates. as most people do when they've got imaginary friends as a child they grow up they forget about them they don't need them anymore they have real friends they've got a life they've got issues but she's having a bit of a, a crisis in her life. Her boyfriend's left her. She gets sacked from her job. She has to go back and live with her mother, who's really controlling. And Fred comes back into her life. The difference is this time, she's an adult. And she's had that imaginary friend causing chaos and havoc and blaming her for everything. People think she's insane. People <laughs> think she's totally crazy. And she starts to think it. And even when you watch it, you think... Well, is she? Is Fred Drewley there? Or is she insane? I'm not yeah. saying this film kind of like is a is like fight club <laughs> <laughs> it is, but you get an impression that Fred Drewley is kind of there in his own way. There's more evidence to suggest that than not. Rick Mayo is fantastic in this role. He's an excellent actor, great comedian, great comedy timing, very, very sadly missed. And it's a very overlooked role, I think. He's, he's always very known for his British work, his British comedy this is very much an American film, but he is playing the and right Bale we all know and love. Yeah. He's playing the character I've expected to be playing. Phoebe Cates is excellent as well. She's very likable in this movie, and it is easy to feel sorry for her. Nothing ever goes away, and you just keep thinking she needs to get a break at some point. And like I said, Fred's just intent in causing chaos. And Carrie Fisher's in this film as well. She plays Elizabeth's friend. And there's a scene, spoiler alert, on Carrie Fisher's character's got a houseboat. And Fred sinks it. Who gets to blame it? Elizabeth. <laughs> but it's a very sweet film and it's very endearing as well. And although Fred is totally insane, mm-hmm. he does try and help her be the person she should be. And like I say, it's kind of one of the films. You watch it as a kid, you get the kind of stupid humour. You watch it as an adult, you realise there's actually deeper themes to it. This is a film that was critically panned when it came out. It's got a bit of a cult following now, and I think people look at it a lot more, um, a lot more kind of favourably now than it, was when it once did. But if you haven't seen it, I won't say too much more about it. I would highly recommend it, especially if you're a fan He's he's just great in this, absolutely great. Uh, you do watch it now, and you do really miss him. Yes,
1: obviously very sadly missed. I thought it was a great performance from Rick He Obviously, totally overpowered everything else within the film, but that was the whole point of it. The the character of Drop Dead Fed was supposed to be larger in life and pretty much the same sort of idea as the Fight Club film as well. It's everything that she isn't. She was quiet and reserved, and as you say, it was to try and get her to find her voice again. Fred actually came back. No, I think it's, ah, it's an excellent choice. Very, very good indeed. I think
0: we should do an article on our podcast on how a fight club is a gritty reboot of Drop Dead Fred.
1: <laughs> There's probably far too many similarities for it to be just a coincidence, yeah.
0: Both are quite smartly dressed, are quite sharp yeah. dresses.
1: <laughs> right, my number two choice is one that immediately came to mind when we talked about imaginary friends. It is the Beaver. From the 2011 Jodie Foster film, The Beaver, starring famed misogynist anti Semite alcoholic Mel Gibson, who took on this role apparently to try and kick start his career again after various troubles that he had in the first decade of 2000s. Basically, the story follows a man, Foster, is at the end of his tether. He has basically a lot of problems with his business he has problems with his his wife and his sons and he just is at the end and he tries to kill himself a couple of times and one of the times when he tries to kill himself ends up in a dumpster and in this dumpster he finds this beaver hand puppet and as soon as he puts the hand puppet on it starts speaking to him in a cockney accent very like Ray Winston. (laughs) And the beaver starts telling him what to do. And it's through the beaver that he starts to try and rebuild his life. He doesn't speak at all after that. It's always the beaver that does the talking for him. He starts to make him a, a nicer person. He gets himself back on track and he obviously tries to rebuild his life. But of course... There's always the dark side. He was obviously in a bad place to begin with, and that something like that doesn't go away, as it doesn't in real life for a number of people as well. So the the film takes a couple of twists and turns and actually has a a reasonably downbeat ending, to be perfectly honest. But it's a, a cracking performance, I think, basically because... It's off the wall. It's not something that you would really think of. It's an extension of a character's persona again. And it's just, it's something really that you have to sit down and watch to actually realise that
0: somebody had the balls to make a film like this in the first place. Do you remember when the film was getting first promoted? Still, sorry, it was still in production. And it was kind of mm. usual about it and that. And I thought to myself, this is quite interesting because Mel Gibson is in need of a career re- renaissance here. Julie Foster directing it. That's interesting. And I've never seen it. I never got to see it, but I don't think it did too well. I think it, it was pretty yeah. panned, wasn't it? It did
1: really, really badly, yes, in terms of the opening weekend. It made only $5,000 per theatre on a $21 million budget, and mm. there was something like 3,000 locations it opened in, so it did not do very well at all, and it kind of put his comeback back a wee bit. It's quite strange because if you look at the cast of it now, obviously you've got Jodie Foster behind the camera, you've got Mel Gibson, you've got Anton Yelchin, and you've got Jennifer Lawrence in quite an early role as well, so it's a fairly decent cast, and obviously it's a quite a powerful story, and I think... As time goes on, all it needs is maybe for a wee re-release or somebody to champion it again and it will get reassessed because it is quite a good film. Mm -hmm. It's just, it got caught up in all the stuff that was surrounding Mel Gibson at the time. And a, a lot of that was obviously very negative towards him. So that kind of spilled over into publicity for the film and the fact that people didn't really want to go out and support something that he was doing because of his behaviour. Yeah, it makes sense.
0: Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think so, yes. I will, I will keep an eye out for it though, because I'm curious about it. I said I didn't hear anything good about it, but your recommendation has, has intrigued me. So, right. to speak, so I shall check it out. Right, so choice number two, my friend. I have went with the movie Inside Out. And I'm going to go a little background in the film if you haven't seen it. It's about a young girl, Riley, who has transitioning basically from kind of being a little girl to that kind of pre-teen stage where her emotions are starting to change and her hormones are starting to come to the fore and she has these little personified emotions in her head. There are five personalities, they're quite basic, they're very childlike, joy, sadness, fear, disgust and anger, and kind of influence in her life, especially with joy because she's a little girl, everything's happy and stuff in her life. But she gets older, and things start to change. The emotions start to fight for control. Joy and sadness, especially. They get lost in the annals of her mind and try to get back to headquarters in her brain to stop her from being miserable, basically, for the rest of her life. They're not the imaginary friends I'm speaking of in this movie, though. The imaginary friend is, was actually Riley's imaginary friend, long forgotten, the character of Bing Bong. Now, John, have you seen Inside Out? I've seen about half of it, but I don't remember. It was a long time ago I actually saw it. Because I was going to mention this here but it's spoilery.
1: No, no, go ahead.
0: I'm uh, up for spoilers for Inside Out. Don't worry about that. If anybody hasn't seen Inside Out and they're scared of a of spoiler, and judging by my tone, you probably know it's not going to be a good one. <laughs> so please skip or pause and go and watch it, whatever you do. Uh, if you don't care, if like you've seen it, please continue on. There's a scene when Joy's stuck and... They've got this cart, this kind of old red wagon type thing, I believe, for memory. And they're using this to try and kind of jump a ramp. The problem is, Bing Bong and Joy, both in the, the ramp, they're, they're too, it's too heavy. So Bing Bong is pushing the, the cart and then kind of jumps out at the last minute. Joy takes off and escapes. And she turns around to see Bing Bong just fade from existence because he's no longer needed as an imaginary friend. Riley has grown up. From this part of her life. First he was just forgotten, now he no longer exists. And it's mm. one of the most saddest and harrowing moments I've ever seen in a movie, let alone a <laughs> Pixar film. Wow. It's I did not see it coming. I was not expecting it. And I'm sitting watching the movie. And I'm loving this character. Uh, played by uh voiced by Richard Kind. It's very amusing, he's very lovable, he's very daft and likeable and just oh, look at him, he's a great wee character and then this scene happens and it mm-hmm. makes perfect sense for the, for the script, it makes amazingly perfect sense but you just don't see it coming and it's handled so delicately and so well you're just like oh my god, <laughs> you just feel the tears welling <laughs> so I need to he's, he's not the main character, he's not even in the film much but I have to give a special shout out to Bing Bong. Excellent, yeah I'll definitely need to revisit it uh, it's a great film, I realize, and the ending yeah. is, is, is excellent, it's, uh, it's really funny, it's very poignant, it's exactly what you expect from Pixar, mm-hmm. and yeah I would definitely recommend it, it's, it's one of Pixar's favourite films in my opinion, it was one of my films of the year in 2015, hilarious, thought provoking, poignant, sad, it's got everything, absolutely everything, and it's one of those kind of films that plenty of jokes for adults that will go over kids heads. Especially as not too much to much spoilers, too much about inside out was a scene that showed you the emotions in the mum's head, mm-hmm. then the emotions in the dad's head. Yeah, isn't that's it? quite early on, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just it's just absolutely comic genius. Yep. Um, I remember that. I'll still, yeah. still talking about inside out, John third pick?
1: My third pick is Harvey, the nineteen fifty film featuring character of Harvey a a six-foot, three-and-a-half-inch invisible rabbit, who is the friend of Elwood P. Dowd, who's played by James Stewart. Now, Harvey is a puka, which is a creature from Celtic mythology, and he befriends people and does mischievous things. Now, with Elwood, he goes to bars, and he sits, and they have a drink, and they talk to people, and they just have a generally good time. Now, obviously, as an imaginary friend goes... He's not on the screen at any time because he's completely invisible, but he's a massive presence in this film because the way that James Stewart plays the part of Elwood, he's a very amiable, very gentle man. Now, that could be taken in a way that he's always been like that, but there's certain hints that he was a different type of man and he's changed so he's become more pleasant. Something may have happened, something may have broken within him. Now, He's got a family around him who love him but are also very concerned about the fact that he's hanging about with this invisible rabbit and takes him everywhere he goes and they try to get psychiatric help for him get him institutionalised and what actually happens is the main psychiatrist befriends Harvey as well <laughs> and in a, a lovely wee scene he starts to talk to him he eventually sees him which is just delightful it's one of these films from the, the tail end of the sort of screwball era it's not terribly deep but you can actually read a lot of themes into it and in a, a lot of ways it's like what you were saying about there are different levels that you can take from these films. You can just take superficial laugh elements from it. There are things working underneath. It's one of these films you can watch a couple of times because you get more from it each time, not just on the performance level, but also on the story and the theme level as well. It's a absolutely excellent movie. Have you seen it?
0: I have seen it. I've seen it once. It was years ago, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, recorded it off maybe Channel Five or something. It was. I'm, yeah. sure, I'm it was like Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And I always remember seeing it pop up when I was working, so I thought I might just record that. And it kind of sat, as things tend to do, set in the box for ages. And I'd heard of the film through when Donnie Darko first came out. Mm-hmm. People made parallels with it from the imagery of Donnie having a imaginary friend, Frank. Yes. Uh, it was a big rabbit. And people say that it was clearly influenced by Harvey. It wasn't a film I expected when I watched it. The themes and the tones of it, how how sad it was at times as well. It was a cracking film. I really liked it. Yeah. James Stewart's it's a brilliant performance. Yeah, I, I could say I, I couldn't tell you a lot of like details of the film other than the, the themes, but yeah, I loved it. I, I thought it was uh, really good. I didn't realize it was as old as that. But wow, that's, oh yeah. It's, it's yeah, black and 70, white, seventy years yeah. old. Yep. Mhm. I know it's <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely recommend that. Anybody who's not watched that, go back and see it. It's, it's a cracking film. So, your last choice? Yes, my third and final choice. I am going to go with a character that I believe in the credits was credited as the mentor. This was the Elvis Presley inspired character from True Romance, played by Val Kilmer. Mm. In True Romance, Christian Slater's Clarence falls in love with Patricia Arquette, Alabama. She's a call girl but he doesn't care about that. They do want to make a fresh start. He goes and kills her pimp and ends up falling foul with the local drug lords and gangsters in his chase through the country. He's got this drugs that he's accidentally stolen and he tries to kind of sell them and he just into one kind of mishap after another. Through the film, he's got a imaginary friend who looks and acts very suspiciously to Elvis Presley. This <laughs> shouldn't be a surprise being that Clarence is a massive fan of Elvis, but like I said, in the film, he's credited as mentor. He only appears on screen? out of focus in the background and it's when Clarence has got some time with himself and he goes to the toilet and he's washing his hands but any time with himself he'll speak to the mentor who will give him some advice on what to do in his life it's a very strange role it's a very strange character for a film that is very rooted in realism it's very Mm -hmm. gritty it's got its kind of light moments as well, but this character just kind of like comes and goes, offering Clarence with some some life advice and what he should do. And if you forget, it's Val Kilmer playing this part, and Val Kilmer did want to play the part of Clarence and Tony Scott didn't want him for it, but really did want him in this role. He's great. He's absolutely great. It's mm-hmm. just a, a very overlooked role. Yeah, that's my third bit. It's an excellent choice. It's, it's good that
1: the mentor character, as you say, is always seen just slightly out of focus and everything it is very much it's almost like something sitting on his shoulder telling him oh this is what you should Mm -hmm. be doing and and it's not always good advice i mean he he gave him the the initial advice he gives him is to go and
0: kill the drug dealer so it's Uh, you know it's. (laughs) yeah i I think i remember the the dialogue he says something like get away but it's the easy part Mm. it's the killing that's hard yeah he's he's talking him into doing this murder and it's almost like a kind of conscience in a way, but as you say, it's it's not necessarily a Jiminy Cricket style conscience saying, don't do bad <laughs> things. It's like, do yeah. these things because they will help you in life, they will make you feel better. And there's a cracking scene. I think it's the last time you see the mentor. And again, it's like an out of focus, bloody shot. And he just kind of gives Clarence the Elvis point, that yeah, famous, right, iconic yeah. point, and says, Clarence, I love you. <laughs> so I like, I, I like you. I like you. <laughs> him. you never
1: see him again elvis has left the building yeah <laughs> you know exactly yeah val kilmer man he's really good in some of these bit roles he, he tended to pop up in sort of mid-career so yeah i think that's a, it's a fantastic choice well done yeah nicely done
0: and i would say it's like uh, apart from the beaver is the only film i haven't seen of uh, all these ones we've done we don't always pick top three of movies we like it may just be a character we like or a theme in this case i uh, I'd recommend all these movies. Go go and see them all. Oh, definitely yes. As you say, they may not be the
1: definitive top three. Well, they never are in any of the categories we, we seem to cover. But it's all very personal
0: choice. That's us finished with our top three. Unfortunately, because of time constraints, I didn't get a chance to take to social media I ask you, lovely people, what your top three imaginary friends and movies were. It doesn't mean I'm not interested though, so please contact us on social media at Movie Scramble or on Facebook or Instagram. Again, you can email John. We'll get to that in a minute. I know he's got some exciting news, <laughs> but please let us know your imaginary friends and your top three imaginary friends in movies as well. Because, like I, as John said, it's when you think about it, there's a lot of great films out there and a lot of great choices. We've only kind of scratched the surface. Please... Is yours. I've had a look at some movie news today. Just kind of scrolling Facebook. I see I movie news. I was scrolling Facebook and this popped up so much so I had to double take because I wasn't too sure if it was actually real or not. And it kind of links on nicely to your talk about Mel Gibson earlier and that kind of career renaissance. I don't know if this would be the movie to do it. I think every <laughs> so often he goes through a kind of little career dip and a comeback. But there's talks, very strong rumours are going to make a Lethal Weapon 5. Now, if you're a fan of It's All Set in Philadelphia, you know they've already made Lethal Weapon 5 and 6. This would be 7. If you're not, it's true that it's 5. If you don't know what I'm talking about, It's All Ahead in Philadelphia, or if you have seen this show, you've not seen that episode yet, go and watch it on YouTube. It's, fine. it's brilliant. It's absolutely genius. But yeah, Lethal Weapon 5, Mel Gibson. Danny Glover, turns out maybe they aren't too old for this shit, and they're going to return for uh, a fifth film. Mm. I I love, I love The First for Weapon. I, I've not seen the second one in a long time. I think I'd enjoy it more now than I did then. The third, one, the third one's probably my favourite, I don't know why. <laughs> I, 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 I'm a big fan of the third one. Although I like Jet Li, I didn't like the fourth one that much. It was a bit too daft. Saying that... <laughs> There's no way in hell I'm not going to go and see the fifth of it. So. <laughs> yeah, well, that is the case, isn't
1: it? No matter how bad it is, you go along and watch it because it's a lethal weapon film. I agree with you that the quality of it has diminished from the first being quite a strong... It was, it was an 18 or something when it came out at first, I believe. Yeah. I to, an action film? Yeah. And then by the fourth, it was just... This knockabout comedy almost It was just awful The fourth it one was really just... bad I, <laughs> I getting... thought that killed it I thought the fourth one did kill the, the franchise But obviously not
0: It was getting that kind of way That they were getting so sm- much more comical That if you'd watched Loaded Weapon 1 yeah, You'd think <laughs> it was an official sequel <laughs> <laughs> I
1: really I thought... don't know how they're going to do it though. I mean Danny Glover is so old
0: now it must be at 90 yeah, I mean, he, he definitely is told for this shit, you know. I, I mean, I don't know how they're going to do it. I really don't. And I'd like to think if they, do, they don't do go down the diehard route where they make it too over the top mm. and it just you kind know, of doesn't work tonally from previous films. Yeah, the diehard. Diehard also had like a kind of human element to it. By the fourth film, it a like superhero it was Mm -hmm. quite daft they could pull this off with the right script I mean the first film did have its humour keep the humour to a respectable level play to their strengths don't introduce children don't introduce a new generation and I really don't know how they'll do it though I don't know how they could I, I think they might employ some of the
1: Irishman de technology and just have Danny Glover trying to kick the shit out of somebody at 90 years old. It'll be, <laughs> it'll be, it'll be, it'll be worse. Loved, than Robert De Niro.
0: I love the Irishman but that scene and he's kicking the guy, you're like... Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous. But, I mean, maybe... maybe it'll, I mean, is <laughs> it going to just be like Roger Murtaugh, like a wheelchair and a nursing home? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because Mel Gibson's not getting any younger. No, absolutely not, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a strange one. They've talked about <laughs> this before, and whether anything actually comes of it or not, it, it's, it's quite nice to speculate what it would actually be like.
0: Speaking of the Irishman, I mean, hang on, it's going to be Joe Pesci's last film. They're going to try and coax him into retirement fully for Weapon 5. He became very much part of that franchise. Mm-hmm, that's right, yeah, of course. So the third and fourth film, wasn't it? He was it really it, it heavily it... involved. Yeah, he came in, I'm sure the second one where he first came into it, but it was specifically the third and fourth one that it was a main character. Yeah, Leo Gates wasn't it? That's his character's what name. Was it? I think it was. Uh, yeah. uh, he was, he was. he was. He was. good. He was good in yeah. the films, to be fair.
1: Maybe there's a lot of offcuts from the Irishman with his <laughs> yeah, character that they can use. <laughs> <laughs> they're just gonna, they're going to go a Star
0: Wars with Princess yeah. Leia. They're just going like, <laughs> to <laughs> use twenty-five scenes. This is just do that with the entire film. Yep. uh, have outtakes for saw in Predator 2 (laughs) and uh, Braveheart (laughs) the beaver (laughs) and (laughs) just make a movie now that I would pay to see definitely I'd I'd have to go and see that but speaking of the weapon have you seen the TV show I
1: saw first couple of episodes of it and I thought it was okay there's far too much excellent TV out there for me to spend time watching something that's just a
0: bit alright you know have you seen it no, I haven't seen any of it. I didn't fancy it at all, but uh, I haven't heard a bad thing about it. People are stuck with it. I absolutely loved it. I think it's
1: one of these shows that people watch, not, I'm not saying this in a bad way, but they watch out of habit. It's just something, it's like Hawaii Five-O and things like that as well. Ah, yes. These sort of cop shows that they're okay. It's mm-hmm. something to sit and watch, but it's never going to be highly regarded or anything. But I'm sure there is a, there must be an audience for it, because it's still going, I think. So.
0: Fair play. I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's that you kind of get these shows and you don't watch them the pass you by and then you check it's only season seven and you're like, what the hell did that happen? I know, I know. It puts you off as well if
1: you actually want to start watching these things just because there's so much content. And with a lot of the American ones, it's
0: like 22, 23 episodes. That's true. I'm a big fan of the whole kind of 10, 12 episode arcs. Yeah, it's nice. Nice and tight, that's what I like.
1: Is that... <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: how we like it. Yeah, so... <laughs> I'm saying no more. That's us for another uh, award winning successful box office Smash Movie Scramble podcast. Uh oh, yeah, shout out to John. Shout out uh... to you.
1: Oh yes I have one Obviously I've been Campaigning heavily Over the last Couple of podcasts Trying to get somebody To actually send us An email And it's finally Come to fruition We got one Just yesterday From uh, Dylan Watson 755 From Minnesota Saying that he really Enjoys the podcast Which was really nice He he really enjoyed Our Rise of Skywalker Episode And also the the Knife's Out episode The Top 3 Detectives And he put a request In as we have been Punting for a film that we can review, and he asked us to take a look at 1917, which we have actually done. Dylan, you got your wish. So, so thank you very much for the email, and if anyone else would like to contact us and suggest something that we could review, that would be very nice indeed. We do look forward to receiving these. And this email was received with undue joy, I think, basically <laughs> on my part, and uh, I think Mary was kind of the same as well.
0: But yeah, it's very nice indeed. So thank you very much, Dylan. Yeah, Thanks very much, Dylan. Uh, thanks for the email. Thanks very much for your kind words. And we just really do appreciate the fact that you've been listening and enjoying the podcast. And that goes to everybody out there that's even gave us a little like on social media, a little comment. And even if you said nothing, you're still enjoying it. You're downloading it, you're playing it. That's that's great. Yeah. We, we do it for fun. We do it off our own back. We do it for a laugh. And the most important thing is, as long as they're for you as well. If you just keep listening, we'll keep doing it. Simple as that. And if you do want to get in touch with us, as John said, you could email them or if you're on Twitter, Facebook, we're there at Movie Scramble, Instagram as well. I think our Bebo account's been shut down, but mm-hmm. things move on, things change. Well, that was Jojo Rabbit. That was a talk for your imaginary friends. If you're excited about Lethal and 5, and you are Mel Gibson, please let us know. I've been Thomas. <laughs> All right. John. Yep. Thank well, you. I've still been John, yep. Thanks a lot. See you later, guys. Bye. See you guys. Take care. Bye.